It was boring. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, no! This one was ass. I was expect <laughs> like I don't remember ever having really watched this one through. I was I've always only seen volume one. So it's like I was expecting a lot. Because volume one is amazing. Oh, I know. And like there's too much talking in this one. Hashtag Kill Bill Volume One Forever. <laughs> because what was that? <laughs> it starts out slow, it's just weird through, and then she hardly kills Bill. <laughs> I'm sorry. You wanted more blood. I just, I was feel like I was, the carnage was not there. It just wasn't. <laughs> well, we still got to do this. We, yeah, you're right. We still, we're still going to talk about it. It's not without value. <laughs> but. Welcome back to Kicking and Streaming, where I was cheated out of carnage. I'm Carrie, codenamed Garter Snake. And I'm Ross, codenamed Boa Constrictor. And today we are talking about the 2004 sequel to Kill Bill, Kill Bill Volume 2. So Kill Bill 2. Yeah, Kill Bill 2. Okay, basically. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Uh-huh. Folks, as you might have noticed, this is the second part of a two-part episode on the Kill Bill saga. So yeah, if you haven't listened to our coverage of Volume 1, go and do that now. Oh, absolutely. We'll be here. We'll wait. Before we get started, don't forget, go follow us on Twitter at Kick and Stream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. You can write the show at kickingandstreamingpodcast at gmail.com. That's with an and, not an ampersand. And don't forget, folks, be practicing the three R's. Rate, review, retweet. Rate, review, retweet, folks. We want everyone to join our little watch party. Have you gotten me a birthday present yet? Yeah. Not you. <laughs> oh, wow, and I sounded unsure. <laughs> the nervous way you said, yeah. Okay, you're trying to do a thing. Go on. Go on. I'm sorry. If you haven't gotten me a gift yet, please go on to iTunes yes. and rate and review us. <laughs> rate and review us. That's the best birthday present you can give to Carrie Ann this month. Thank you all so much for listening. I <laughs> hope y'all are having fun. We're having a lot of fun this month, aren't we? We are. Can y'all send me some money for a birthday <laughs> present for Carrie Ann? It's important. What's your cash out? My past, <laughs> my past few years with Carrie Ann's birthday present have been ass. Oh my god. Either because she hasn't gotten one or because <laughs> I just it I hate living in capitalism. No, it's okay. <laughs> Alright, we're gonna take a water break while y'all listen to the trailer for Kill Bill Volume 2. You're drinking water? No, definitely not, okay, but <laughs> One more thing before we get started, don't forget, usual trigger warning for all of the classic Tarantino violence and, you know, general hatred of women and, you know, really fretful situations. How about this? Trigger warning, Tarantino. (laughs) Oh, no. He just gets his own trigger warning. Yes, yes. This is rated T for Tarantino. (laughs) I love you so much. God. killed a hell of a lot of people to get to this point. I went on what the movie advertisements refer to as a roaring rampage of revenge. I roared, and I rampaged, and I got bloody satisfaction. You've got to start becoming afraid of her, because she is coming. And when I arrive at my destination, I am going to kill Bill. 
previously on Kill Bill. So we're following the story of the bride, correct? Yes, we are. Bleep! Yeah, bleep. Bleep the bride, because we're not allowed to know her name yet for whatever reason. Nope, not yet, but we'll get there. This bride is on a quest of revenge. Yes. She's taking out a couple of people who did her real dirty back in the day. Absolutely. Like four years ago, right? (laughs) Yeah. Or something like that. She was pregnant, getting married to a man she loves, and leaving her life of crime for a better life for her daughter, when all of a sudden, that life of crime came back to bite her in the ass, (laughs) or shoot her in the side of the head. Whichever comes first. (laughs) And now she is out to kill all the remaining members of the Deadly Viper Assassination Squad. And they all have fun code names. Yes, they do. And we have fun code names. (laughs) We picked two of the most harmless snakes in existence. We are, aren't we? Aren't we? We are the most harmless snakes in existence. Like, boa constrictors will get you, but only if you can't get away from them fast enough. Exactly. I wanted you to be ball python, because ball pythons are adorable. Okay, I can change it. <laughs> no, 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 no. I like boa. You like boa constrictor? I right. like boa constrictor. Because when you get, like, intoxicated at a party, you'll get to a point where you're hugging everybody and, like, hugging them tight. And I just picture you like a boa constrictor curling up around them and going, I love you so much. I'm a boa constrictor dressed up like an actual boa. <laughs> like, I look fun and festive. I've got feathers on me and shit, but I'm an actual snake. <laughs> Obviously, this week, we're not going to have an opening segment where we talk about the cast and the production team, because we've done that already. However, I did want to start this discussion off by saying that there is a significant difference between volumes one and two. This is the part where I'm- What? This is the- No! (laughs) This is the part where I'm going to agree with you (laughs) if you'll let me get there. All right, sure. Okay. It's your your selection. I think the whole setup of this whole scenario in the first volume had more opportunities- to play around with fight scenes and multiple genres. But this movie has less of those opportunities because we have to start delivering on the story beats that were promised, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I think this movie definitely has a pacing issue because of the lack of action. Or the laction, if you will. Ah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, You're... Fired. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's my birthday. You can't fire me. <laughs> You're right. No firing in birthday month. <laughs> Laction. So this movie begins at chapter six. We left off chapter five at the House of Blue Leaves, right? And this chapter is called Massacre at Two Pines. And as the bride so eloquently reminded us, the event that got all of this started was the mass murder at the Two Pines Church in El Paso, Texas. And, like, we learned that technically that wasn't the day of their wedding. It was the rehearsal for their wedding. Yes. Like, and so now we get to meet all the victims. Yeah. Oh, my God. This does break my heart a little bit because you already know what's going to happen to them. I mean, yeah. And, like... And they all seem innocent enough. I know. You know they, what I mean? They seem like good people. Like, why didn't they just fuck with her? Why did they have to kill all of them? You got to kill the witnesses. Oh, yeah. Yeah, if you're going to be... I'm sorry, I'm not a professional murderer. <laughs> no, uh, kick- <laughs> kicking and streaming does not endorse the professional murder of any individual. <laughs> but, like, if you're going to do a, quote, professional job, you have to tie up those loose ends, right? You, you know what? Yes, you've said this before. Uh, you said... We talked about this last week. You got to tie up those loose ends. And so, yeah, all of her bridesmaids seem so nice. They're just the dude's friends, right? Now, when we come to the part where I say you may kiss the bride... You may kiss the bride, but don't stick your tongue in her mouth. (laughs) This might be funny to your friends, but it would be embarrassing to your parents. (laughs) 
We'll try to restrain ourselves. <laughs> and like all of these girls seem really nice. They all seem like they've become really good friends since she has assimilated with them. Yes. And like she's going by a different name. Do you remember what the name was? Arnell? No, no, no. That's close. It's Arlene Machiavelli. I, my God. <laughs> I know. Sure. Tone it down. Arlene. Okay, not Arnell. It's almost cute to see her before all of this happened. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, like, she seems like she's living a normal life. And, like, the bride excuses herself to go outside for she, some air. She pregnant. Yeah, she needs some air. But, like, as she's walking down the aisle, she hears this flute. And, like, you almost don't know what she's, like, bothered by, because it just sounds like the soundtrack, right? Yes. But she walks out onto the porch of the church, and Bill, the infamous Bill, is just sitting there playing this really long flute. Hello, kiddo. How did you find me? I'm the man. We finally get our first look at Bill. David Carradine is here. Like, did you think this moment was going to be a lot more um, animated? I thought it was going to be a lot more sinister. Really? Like, I thought he was going to, like, really start fucking with her head. Like, I got gotcha. you. I found you. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's it's not directly like that. And it's like a lot more, it's tense, but like in a, like a chemical way. You know, like when- Not in a, you know, uh, brutal way. It's got big spies who fall in love energy for me. They're enemies, but they are also into each other. Your enemies, it's hot. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) you know what I mean? However boring you find these scenes, they're incredibly necessary. We really need to understand- their dynamic as a couple because previously it's just been like he's the boogeyman right yeah he's this faceless monster this is before miranda comes to the office (laughs) yes but miranda's here now yes (laughs) the longest miranda Priestley entrance ever he's just got this way about him he could be any age you know what i mean i know like as creepy as you want it to be he looks like a benjamin button guy who's 24 (laughs) you know what i mean are you gonna be nice I've never been nice my whole life. But I'll do my best to be sweet. I always told you, your sweet side is your best side. I guess that's why you're the only one who's ever seen it. Did we mention that Bill's code name is Snake Charmer? Snake Charmer. Like, that just makes the flute so much more appropriate. But I also hate that name. I hate the connotation, you know what I'm saying? Like, he is just charming all of these badass women with swords and guns. Like, they're at his beck and call. I hate it. I was doing some research on David Carradine. Carradine. David Carrots. Okay. And and I, because I was like, okay, he's in the title role. You always are very selective about who you cast in your title role. Bill wasn't really in volume one, but... Volume two is, of course, going to be all about, you know, Bill. I think that's why you don't like it. It's Bill Loaded. And (laughs) I was doing some David Carrots research and David Carradine, Carradine. (laughs) I like how you keep saying it both ways so I can cut in whichever way is correct. David Carradine is famous for his portrayal of Kwai Chang Kane in the ABC television series Kung Fu. Yeah, you brought this up last week. I remember. And I, I, but I didn't talk a lot about it because Uh this wasn't. 
Bill Heavy. And, like, this ran for, it only ran for, like, three years. I feel like it was, like, the Avatar Last Airbender of the 70s. Oh, no. You know what I mean? Gross. I I can't qualify that because I'm not from the 70s. (laughs) But it's a Western Kung Fu thing. Okay. All right. Now I see what you're saying. He's also a white person playing a Chinese person. Yeah. So it's, like, like playing an actual Shaolin priest. And I'm, like. Inherently problematic. Yeah, I'm sure people loved it, but, like, whatever. But I understand why he's cast here. But he's just got this um it's so different in this character and this is like what he's also most known for yeah i know it's he's actually playing the white guy this time is all he's bringing like this really avuncular charm to the whole role congratulations for your sat vocab use avuncular avuncular it literally just means like you're acting like Almost paternal in nature. Like here's oh, the- like uh, Hardigan and Nancy. It's like uh, oh no, in I- Sin City, it's like uh, you know, dad, but also lovers type thing. Is that what you're saying? I mean, close, but it's definitely not the same. Because there's age disparity there. There's definitely age disparity here too. It's not like he knew her when she was a little girl. Like it's not as creepy for me. Like the way Bill is just almost paternal in this scene. He's finally found her after months of searching, and he's just so conversational. Like. Oh, you're getting married. How lovely. I want to meet the young man. I like his hair. Yeah. Like, how are we being so blasé about this? And like, Which keeps you wondering about what the fuck happened. Here's the thing. You were asking me about that. You're like, the way they come after her is so... It's biblical. Yeah. It's absolutely biblical. Why do they hate her so much? And that's what has kept me thinking. That's what kept me thinking the whole time watching the movie. I was like, yo, the bride must have done something fucking evil that we just don't know about. Otherwise, why the hell are they coming after her like this? And here's the thing. I don't think it's that complicated. I think that Bill had his ego bruised, his poor widow ego, and he went after her when he realized that she pulled a wool over his eyes. Yeah, but then why the re- why do the rest of the deadly why do the rest of the deadly vipers hate her so much? Is it literally hive mind just because Bill hates her so much? I Are mean, they that loyal and dedicated to Bill? That might be the case. It also might be the Yoko Ono effect. Oh, where they're all friends and then the new girl comes in and ruins the vibe. I mean, maybe. Like, maybe, maybe the bride is just the Yoko. You kind of forget about Tommy and all this carnage. Yeah, she eventually brings Bill inside the chapel. She introduces him as her father. And, like, they were like, what? I thought you had, like, no one coming. And she was like, oh, no, surprise. That's just, like, my dad. And I'm like, oh, no. Tommy, I'd like you to meet my father. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, my God, this is great. I'm so glad to meet you, sir. Oh, Dad. The name's Bill. Well, it's great to meet you, Bill. Also, Samuel L. Jackson is the organist. Yes. What's his name? Rufus. Rufus. He's the man that plays the organ for the church. This is a chapel. Stop smoking. Oh, my God. Rufus is token. Rufus? Who was that you used to play for? Rufus Thomas. Rufus Thomas. Rufus Thomas. I was a drill. I was a drifter. I was a coaster. I was part of the gang. I was a bar K. If they come through Texas, I can play with them. It's Sam Jackson and it's Tarantino, so it's got it's If it's if it's Tarantino, it's Jackson. Exactly. And I'm like, okay. I did not think he would show up once, but I was like, nope, there he is. There's <laughs> Sam. And like, they're gonna get started with this rehearsal, and like the bride comes up to Bill one more time before they start, 
and gives him the weirdest kiss. Okay, here's the thing. They're all standing up there trying to go through with this rehearsal, right? And she's like standing in the middle of the chapel. In the middle of the chapel with Bill. And she's like, oh my God, thank you so much for allowing this to happen. You're so great. In front of the whole wedding party. And like then she um, she kisses Bill. But not in a kiss your dad kind of way. No, it's intimate. It's an intimate kiss. And the whole... There's actually two of them. She goes back and does it again. Because she thinks that he's going to let her get away with this. And I'm like, what's this? The goodbye kiss? Not for your dad, honey. Oh, no. Come on, bleep. And then Bill sits down to watch them rehearse. And the camera pulls out of the chapel. And as we pull out, we see Bud, Vernita, Oren, and Elle walk up to the chapel, and we just, we just hear the carnage. What the hell? I timed it. From the first second that gunshot is fired to the last, it's about five seconds. And they kill what? Eight people? Nine people. Nine people. It took five seconds to kill nine people, and that's exactly why private citizens shouldn't have semi-automatic firearms. Think about that math. Five seconds. It's incredible. It, It doesn't last long at all, but the impact is so vast. You know what I'm saying? That's what firearms like that do. Ugh. They just decimate quickly. So the next target on the bride's list is a man called Bud. Codename Sidewinder. Yeah, that is so appropriate. Just the everything about his character, the Sidewinder. Instead of, you know, facing shit head on, we're going to be a coward about it. Yes. Bud is actually Bill's brother. Yeah, we don't learn that until like way into the movie either. And I'm like, oh. And in this scene, Bill is paying Bud a visit to warn him about the fact that the bride is on a revenge rampage. Anyhow. They all fell under her Hanzo sword. She got a Hanzo sword? He made one for her. Didn't he swear a blood oath to never make another sword? It would appear he has broken it. Them Japs sure know how to hold a grudge, don't they? (laughs) He's a racist shit. And let me just tell you this right now. If either one of us joins an assassination group... (laughs) Can we pinky promise right here, right now, not to tell each other about it (laughs) or include the other one in it? Like, try and keep it as separate as possible? You think it's abhorrent that Bill dragged his little brother into this? Yeah. Because they were all probably young when they formed it, right? Yeah. And so, I mean, when you think about how much... We can let go of our pinkies now. Oh, I'm sorry. We swore. (laughs) I love it. We were still holding pinkies. We were still holding pinkies. No, but when you think about how much older Bill appears than Bud, like, Bill was probably a whole-ass man and teaching his teenage brother how to kill. Yeah. And, like, they never knew their dad. I don't know what the situation with their mom was. But we're not going to feel bad for them. Oh, absolutely not. No. Which brings me to my paragraph about Bud. Okay, go on. Talk to me about Bud. Bud is a fucking loser. Bud lives in a trailer in the middle of goddamn nowhere, wearing a cowboy hat and bowling shirts that don't even have his name stitched on the pocket, just cooking canned beans on a trash can fire, chain smoking, and shooting jackalopes with a 22 while he pisses his life away. And he's pretty much spent the fortune that he amassed as an assassin 
on drugs and booze. Yeah. He's almost pitiful. I mean, yeah. I mean, if he wasn't such a trash human, I'd actually feel bad for him. But he's like a racist and an anti-Semite, so he'll get none of that from me. Exactly. It's so satisfying that after a long career of being an asshole, he has like nothing to show for it. Serves him right. He pawned his Hattori Hanzo sword. Uh, Supposedly, yes. Like, it is a priceless weapon. And he tells Bill, yeah, I pawned that shit. Got $240 for it. Y'all remember Hattori Hanzo from Volume 1? Bill tells him, she's coming to kill you. Yeah, yeah. You better start coming up with an escape plan before she gets here. Oh, that's where we have that uh, little tidbit from the first one. Where he's like, she deserves her revenge and we deserve to die. That woman deserves her revenge. And we deserve to die. But then again, so does she. Bud is not worried about any of this. It's like he's always known that she'd come for him one day. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. That's a weird thing. It's like as assassins, they all know that one day a loved one of someone they killed could turn up and exact revenge. Exactly. Like, I don't want that to happen to us, (laughs) you know? So, like, don't tell me about the assassination group. Okay, I And I won't tell you about mine. (laughs) I kind of already have, though, haven't I? No, not the Illuminati bit. What Illuminati bit? I hate... I'm not in the Illuminati. I hate the Illuminati bit. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, no, that's exactly why I hate this bit. Because you bring it up and then you're like, you're crazy. You gaslight me into being part of your bit. That's what my organization does. Stop it! I'm going to tell Jay-Z and Beyonce about you later. Stop. Don't tell stories on me to Beyonce. Like, I'm not in their chapter, but like... Don't tell Beyonce about that time that I threw up in the club. Uh, I've said too much on air already. Oh my God! We're moving on. Under his eye. Stop! (laughs) Now we arrive at chapter seven. Oh boy, here we go back. The Lonely Grave of Paula Schultz. We get the scene that goes on for far too long where Bud goes to work at this shitty titty bar he works at. Like, I like strip clubs, but this place is a dive. I think its actual name is the shitty titty. No, it's not. Yeah, absolutely. And, like, you know the dancers there are not treated well. You know what I'm saying? It's a a strip club in the middle of Texas. Uh, For real. You you just let your mind run. It can burn to the ground for all I care. But, like, he has this face-off with his idiot boss because he's habitually late. This scene made me so uncomfortable. It's just long and drawn out and weird, and I don't (laughs) like him. And and yeah, like you, it takes way too long. Yeah, he's like crossing him off the list, off the schedule. There used to be your name. Oh. Uh, Monday, you go to. Yeah, how about, how about that? Fucking with your cash is the only thing you kids seem to understand. Okay? I want you to go home till I call you. Till I call you. I'm like, why is this scene here? Like, were you hoping that I would like see his pathetic life and like would feel sorry for him like it's not- I think this is supposed to establish that he's wanting to move up from where he is maybe you're right uh, you know giving everything that comes after I'm I, just I, saying for real like I just like are you trying to make me feel sorry for him QE like it's not working I feel nothing Bud goes home after having his ass handed to him And he's just standing outside the trailer. The only light for miles is the light that's on top of his trailer. And, like, he's trying to smoke a cigarette. But, like, 
It's like he senses a disturbance in the force. Like Oreni Shii. I mean, a little bit, when, yeah. When Bleep was around her. Like, I thought maybe being out here, maybe possibly being downwind, maybe he smells her. Weird. I know, Weird. right? Weird. Like, all of these assassins have all of these heightened senses, and it's just really freaky. But, like, he just brushes it off, and he goes inside the trailer, closes the door. We get that pan down of the trailer, and there she is. The bride is underneath the trailer, wearing all black. Bleep is gonna bleep you up. Oh, she sure is. How long do you think she's been there? I don't know. She looks dirty. I know. <laughs> and it's not gonna be the worst of it. The one thing Bud and I have in common is a love for Johnny Cash. Like, <laughs> not the Johnny Cash. How many times have you heard someone say? He starts those records in the trailer, and like she starts crawling out from under the trailer. She can see his feet under the door. He's just sitting in the rocker, chilling out, and she's gonna get him by surprise. And so she throws the door to that camper open. <laughs> yeah. And Bud is waiting for her. <laughs> Hello. Like Kevin McAllister <laughs> with his gun. <laughs> he blasts her into his front yard. And because, like, I don't know what's happened, right? And so I'm like, oh, he shot her. <laughs> He shot her in the chest. Oh, my God. I went, she's dead. There's no way she's alive. But here's the thing. It's a non-lethal rock salt round. Still, I feel like it should have killed her. I know why it didn't, but like... She's just laying in his front yard with rock salt. (laughs) Yard. I know, it's dirt. (laughs) There's no grass. (laughs) This is my Texas lawn. (laughs) I don't ever have to mow it. And sometimes funny shapes turn up in it. (laughs) It's my desert lot. My sand lot. I got a front sand lot and a back sand lot. Call my front lot and my back lot. Stop, you're killing me. I know how you feel. I was once beaten tic-tac-toe by a chicken. (laughs) She gets blown into the yard. She's just laying there with rock salt embedded in her chest, hating life. And she bloody. Oh, it's bad. And he, like, stoops down over her. She spits blood in his face. And he returns fire by spitting saliva and tobacco juice all over her face. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh. And what's the first thing he does? He gets L Driver on the phone. Oh, yes. Daryl Hannah. Yes. Daryl Hannah is back. Our babe with the eye patch. Hello, hon. Hi, L Driver. God, I know she's garbage, but it's, mm, it's the eye patch. Okay. <laughs> okay. I love me an eye patch on a villain. Are you Sahela into Patchy the Pirate too? No! Uh, Patchy the Pirate's not a villain. I love it when Patchy the Pirate switches his eye patch. <laughs> like switches it to the other side. Pirates did not wear eye patches because they were missing eyes. Why did they wear them? The reason that pirates wear eye patches is so they would always have one eye in darkness so that when they walked below deck and away from the sun, they could switch it and their eye would automatically be adjusted to the lower light. No fucking way. Yeah! What? Yeah! I've never known that in my life. I'll try to find a source and drop it below. Anyway, crime pirate. (laughs) 
L Driver. Crime pirate. She's the only Viper left on the list besides Bud, right? Yeah. And he tells her that he's got the bride and her priceless Hattori Hanzo sword. And he will sell that sword to her for the bargain price of $1 million. In cash. <laughs> yeah! You know how many banks she's going to have to hit? <laughs> how do you like the sound of that? Sounds like we got a deal. One condition. What? She must suffer to her last breath. <laughs> well, that hell, darling, I can pretty much damn well guarantee. Then I'll see you in the morning, millionaire. They just despise her existence. I just, I don't get it. Like, I just, ugh. I really think this is all because she hurt Bill. I think they're all that emotionally tied up in it. Uh, Because Elle is obviously in love with Bill, so that's why she doesn't like her. Mm. And Bud is Bill's brother, so that's why Bud doesn't like her, because she broke his brother's heart. Uh, Like, it's just, it's not that big of a leap for me, Bud. She didn't have to do anything that horrible to get all of these people to hate her. Yeah. So the bride comes to, lying in the bed of Bud's truck, Her hands and feet are bound, and we're in a graveyard. Oh, God. Who's digging that grave? (laughs) Tell me who's digging that grave, Carrie Ann. It's a character actor, Clark Middleton. He was with us two weeks ago in Sin City. Yes, he was, wasn't he? He was one of those creeps. He's always a creep. Look at those eyes. This bitch is furious. (laughs) What did I tell you? Uh, Is she the cutest little blonde pussy you ever saw? (laughs) Or... See the cutest little blonde pussy you ever saw. I've seen better. And, like, Bud has just enlisted the help of one of his fellow lowlifes to help him dig a grave. It's like they're helping him install a new water heater. Stop. Oh, my God. Like they're having beers when they're done digging the hole. They've dug up another woman's grave. Oh, yeah, in the background where you can just see the casket wide open. With, with that, the body. With the corpse, the decomposed corpse hanging out they of it. They literally dug up Paula, Paula Schultz. Schultz. Yeah. And they're just going to they're gonna rebury a pine coffin with the bride in it under her headstone. Did you notice the uh, lifespan dates on the grave? No, I didn't. It, she's from like the 1890s. Oh, okay, so no one's going to miss And it. her name is Paula Schultz. <laughs> Quentin, what's going on with that? <laughs> Anyways, yeah, they're going to bury her alive, aren't they? Yep, they sure are. They're going to bind her hands and feet and bury her alive. And here's another reason that Bud is just pathetic. Because this is the same person who, 10 minutes ago, in front of his big brother, was fronting like, oh, I don't run away from my consequences. I don't try to run away from my comeuppance. But instead of fighting her fair, he's just going to nail her into a coffin and bury her alive. Like, the coward's way out. Sidewinder! Yeah. This is for breaking my brother's heart. I hate this part. I absolutely hate it when they're hammering the nails and we are from inside the coffin slowly watching the light disappear. I have a big problem. Remember when I told you about my irrational fear of Brady Bunch? Uh-huh. Well, I also had an irrational fear as a child of being buried alive. Hey, that's a common fear. A fear of Alice from the Brady Bunch? That's not so common, but yes. being buried alive? Yes. It's one of the most common irrational fears. And you know what happened? You know what triggered it? What? Television. <laughs> I walked into my mom's bedroom one day. That's when she had the big blocky TV on top of her dresser. Uh-huh. And she's watching a soap opera. 
I don't even know what soap opera it could possibly be. She really liked The Young and the Restless. So it was probably a woman was being buried alive. Oh my god! And she's in the darkness in a casket, screaming, "Let me out! For the love of God, let me out! Somebody, please help me!" Oh shit! And I'm standing there watching it. She has her back to me, so she doesn't know I'm in the room. (laughs) And I'm going, "Why are they doing that to her?" Oh no! And she's like, "She's not really dead. Dig her up." Oh no! And she's like, "She will, honey. Later in the episode, she'll get dead." (laughs) She'll get dug up. She's like, Mommy's seen this one before. She's fine. And I'm like, wouldn't she die? And I had also just had my first death and burial. Oh, yeah. Not too long before that. The one, the first one I can remember. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, that was traumatizing. I was like, oh, my God. I was like, does that happen? (laughs) And my mom's like, yeah, like maybe sometimes. They can't make it up entirely, right? And I'm like, Mom. (laughs) Sorry, Mom. And so, yeah, you're right with the light just disappearing and like the, the thud. Of the dirt on top of the box. We waste like two minutes of valuable screen time in blackness just listening to dirt hit the lid of the coffin. So I'm traumatized. And so what do we do as soon as we traumatize the audience? It's a great time for a flashback. Yeah, let's let's just break away from that. This brings us to chapter eight. The cruel tutelage of Pai Mei. Cut to the bride and Bill sitting around a campfire in rural China. And they are on their way to ask the legendary martial arts master known as Pai Mei if he will take the bride on as a student, you know, in, 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 his, in, in his tutelage. Yes. You know, show her the mysterious secrets of combat so she can be a better assassin. Yes. And Bill is puffing on this flute and telling her the legend of Pai Mei, who had a highly irrational intolerance for disrespect. Yes. <laughs> uh Yes, I would say so. The legend goes that while he was walking along the road, he met a Shaolin monk who either did not see or refused to return a respectful nod that Pai Mei gave him. And so the next day, he goes to the Shaolin temple and he asks the head abbot to sacrifice himself as a repayment of this disrespect. And when he refused... Pai Mei slaughtered all of them. Oh, my God. This is also where he tells her about Pai Mei's legendary, uh, oh, what's it called? The five-point palm exploding heart technique, which is a death technique that Pai Mei refuses to teach his students. The deadliest blow in all of martial arts. He hits you with his fingertips at five different pressure points on your body. And lets you walk away. But once you've taken five steps, your heart explodes inside your body. Uh-huh. Ross had a lot of problems with this. Yeah. Um, no. <laughs> no, that's not a thing. No, that didn't happen. Uh, like, I, it, it's kind of cool, but, like, I'll get more into why I hate this later. Well, remember, this is like the samurai movie heightened reality, right? Yes. It looks cool, so don't be a Scrooge about it. Yeah, uh uh-huh. Yeah. (laughs) And Bill warns her, no matter how abusive he is, if you even look at him wrong, he'll snatch your eye out if you cross him. Ah! Like, Pai Mei does not fuck around. Oh, my God. We finally meet Pai Mei. And he is straight out of a Fujita film with the white robe and the long white hair and the beard. Ross really hates it that Pai Mei is prone to stroke his beard. He's 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 orally fixated. Like he's <laughs> got to have his hand by his face all the time. And then like he'll flip the beard like over his shoulder like he's Cher. 
He's got these eyebrows that, like, I feel like if you, like, if he had enough velocity, he could take off flying with those <laughs> eyebrows. The eyebrows are my favorite part. Yeah, it's all I can look at. They're mesmerizing. You also notice that it's Gordon Liu from Volume 1, yeah. who was Johnny Moe, the main general boss of the Crazy 88. Yeah, and he's pulling double duty this week. Bless him. Welcome back, Gordon. A, a double cast. But, like, even even if we didn't have subtitles... You can feel everything about Pai Mei through the way he acts. He's a little funny. Like, I mostly hate him, but he's a little comical. <laughs> yeah, he went to the pedagogical school of yell at them and they'll be better. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> if, if I had to compare him to another movie character, I'd compare him to the sergeant from Full Metal Al- from. I almost said Full, full Metal Alchemist. I almost said Full Metal Alchemist. Full Metal Alchemist. No, 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 no. Full Metal Jacket. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's just, he's mocking her and putting her through all of these physical conditioning exercises. And this is where the genre play gets real deep. Because not only are we already in a samurai movie where we have the warrior in training montage and the martial arts master who is practically a god in his expertise, but we've also got this heightened state of reality of like samurai and kung fu movies where the fight choreography just defies all physics. Yeah, no, yeah, it's 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 laughable. I think the one that everyone remembers is when she tries to stab him with the sword and he jumps up and lands on her blade like it's a tree branch. Yes, yes. It's so great. <laughs> <laughs> And he gets her to this place where he's twisting her arm, trying to get her to admit, basically, that she's a stupid white girl who is helpless. (laughs) You are the weakest link. Goodbye. And, like, when she does finally admit it, she's, like, crying. He's got her arm in a twist. Yeah, he, he fucked her up. And now he's got her right where he wants her. This is how he does it. He breaks them down to an emotional place and then remolds them in his image. What the fuck? I know, it's bad. I just, I mean, I'm sorry. This, it's all so not worth it. Like, I just bleep. <laughs> what went wrong? <laughs> How did you fall into this? Now Paime says, your arm is mine, so I want it strong. And he starts giving her these training exercises where she has to punch a hole through a wooden board uh-huh. with only like three inches of space. And I mean, like, people have done that. Oh no, it's very possible. And I'm like... No, it's like that's magic to me. No, I had it. That is absolute magic to me. Somebody who is able to fucking split wood with their bare hands. Yeah, it's crazy. And they're like, it's all about focus. And I'm like, what are you focusing on? (laughs) Are you literally just centralizing all the energy into one place to where your hand has the payload of an anvil? (laughs) That's manifesting. And then we get that scene where she's trying to eat rice with the chopsticks. And she can't. She can't because, like, her you fingers sh- are half broke. Also, eating rice with chopsticks. I know it's a cultural thing, but, like... It's really hard. Of course it is. And it cuts away from the flashback back to the grave of Paula Schultz. Oh, yeah, we went from chapter 8 back to chapter 7? Is that <laughs> is that what we're doing? Not quite, no. And she's in this coffin that's been nailed shut. She begins doing what Pai Mei taught her. To punch a hole in wood from three inches away? Because that's all the more room she has? <laughs> You're right. This fight technique seems very specific to the whole crawling out of your own grave situation. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You know what? She does it. Yeah, here's the thing. This movie's pacing issues, I feel like all of the slow burn scenes 
are all in the name of giving a handful of good moments, like some really good emotional payoff. Because once you see her suffer that way... Oh, no, I don't care for it at all. <laughs> ...under Pyme's tutelage, and then you realize that she came out of it being able to punch through wood like that, uh. and she's going to now use it to literally crawl out of her own grave. Fucking badass is that? I mean, yeah, that that is pretty badass. And um, and like, I love how as we get a few shots, and the lid starts to crack, and dirt's falling in the coffin, and then all of a sudden she's just tunneling out like a mole person. Yeah, yeah, it's really funny <laughs> the way they shoot it. It's like, oh, she's a mole. <laughs> and this is my favorite part of the scene because she climbs out, <laughs> and then we cut to this diner in the middle of nowhere. This guy behind the counter's looking out the front window. And this woman, covered in dirt, just... It's wafting away from her in the street. Like she's pig pen. Yeah. And she comes in the diner, sits down, clears her throat. throat) May I have a glass of water, please? And that scene ends! (laughs) I want to know all of that diner guy's follow-up questions. Yes, yes. What was that conversation like? Well, I walked out on my baby daddy, so he killed my fiancé and all my friends. And now I'm trying to kill him and all his friends for revenge... Yeah, yeah. His brother buried me in a grave occupied by another person. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's fucked up. Honestly, me working at Cracker Barrel, though, <laughs> like, when people would be, like, talk to me for, like, 15 minutes about... All of their life problems. All of their health issues, all their family members that have been dying. Oh, a lot of old people in Cracker Barrel, too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. We are at Chapter 9, which is called L and I. Uh-huh. Like, L Driver. You're rolling your eyes already. Uh-huh. Cut to Elle Driver in her black muscle convertible, pulling into the lot where Bud parks his trailer, and she's got a suitcase full of one million in cash for the sword. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. And Bud invites her into the trailer, and he's making the shittiest margaritas in the history of cocktails. Yeah, it's real sloppy. You saw how cloudy that ice was. Okay, I did say that to carry him when, he gets, when he's busting up the ice, and I went, oh, my God. That ice is white. It's dirty. It is opaque. Oh, God. And I was like, oh, that water's so dirty. And like once he blends the ice and the marg mixed together, then he's slopping it into these mismatched cups. He gets half of it on the counter. Yeah. Like, bud, you can't even pour cocktails right. He's a man. I I know. He's a man. And we have bigger fish to fry. They make messes. (laughs) Can you imagine how foul that trailer must smell? Foul. Like, absolutely foul. So Bud hands over the sword. Oh, and then they smoke. Yeah. Oh, and they're smoking inside. They're smoking. I'm sorry. Go on. Go on. I'm making it worse. (laughs) They sit down with their shitty margaritas, and they're smoking, and they're shooting the shit. She's looking at the sword, and he opens that suitcase full of money, because I assume he's going to start counting it, and Bud is just giddy. He's laughing. Yeah. He's a millionaire. And, um, you know, he's picking up the stacks. He's feeling them. He's smelling them. Elle's sitting there watching him sipping that nasty margarita. And um, you know what's in the middle of all the cash, guys? A black mamba snake. (laughs) 
out from under those bills, bites him in the face like three times. For such a deadly snake, it's awful cute. I know. Like it's 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 it's, it's petite. It's cute. It's got a, it's fun looking. It's just really long. And if I didn't know what I was looking at, I would have said it was a garter snake. Super deadly though. I know. I like to call this next this next segment my Daryl Hannah wet dream. <laughs> This is a great little piece of acting by like, Daryl Hannah. This whole monologue that Elle goes off on. You know, this has big Sigourney Weaver Warden vibes for me. I know. It does, doesn't it for you? She lights a cigarette and goes and sits down at his little table and takes out this little flip spiral notebook. She like Google. And when you Google back in 2004, <laughs> you can't just whip out your phone and look it up again. So she wrote it down. Yeah, it's like she went to the encyclopedia and found the entry for Black Mamba and just copied it into this notebook. She wanted to have it down so she could read it aloud to him. She's just reading him this information as he's dying. She's like, now listen closely because this concerns you. <laughs> I love her so much. If not treated quickly with antivenom, 10 to 15 milligrams can be fatal to human beings. However, the black mamba can deliver as much as 100 to 400 milligrams of venom from a single bite. I almost just can't believe it's Daryl Hannah. I know. Can you believe this is that sweet little woman from Steel Magnolias? We're really far from Anel. I know. From Anel Dupree or DeSoto or whatever the hell her name is. And you might be asking yourself, why did Elle do this? Like, the easy answer is that she just didn't want to pay a million dollars for this story, right? Why did Elle kill Bud? Like, she's in love with Bill. Why is she going after his brother? This is what she says to him. She goes, right at this moment, the biggest R I feel is regret. Regret that maybe the greatest warrior I have ever met met her end at the hands of a bushwhacking scrub, elky piece of shit like you. This is the same woman who was fully prepared to execute her in her sleep like a little bitch. Oh, you don't know her shit. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Yes. But now she's mad that she died by suffocating in a grave. She's just mad that she didn't kill her. You know, I think you're right. She's just mad that Elle is just mad that she's not the one that got to kill Bleep. (laughs) Kill Bleep. I'm so glad we're coming to the end of that bit. Yeah, me too. Bill calls while she's rounding up all the money, and she tells him that the bride was the one who planted the mamba in his trailer to kill him. Oh, we're lying. We're lying to Bill. Oh, we're lying. And then she tells him where to find the bride's remains. When you get here, walk into a florist and buy a bunch of flowers. Then you take those flowers to Huntington Cemetery on Fuller and Guadalupe. Look for the headstone marked Paula Schultz and lay them on the grave. Because you will be standing at the final resting place of Beatrix Kiddo. She said it! She said the bride's real name! Okay, so we have a name! Beatrix Kiddo. Oh, because Bill's been calling her Kiddo every time he sees her? Yeah, you laughed. You were like, that's clever. I was like, oh, that's funny. She opens that trailer door to leave, and here comes Beatrix's feet in a flying kick. Bam! Completely unarmed. Yeah. And Elle has the Hanzo sword. He has her Hanzo sword. Yes. And she's literally fighting her with a television antenna. 
<laughs> yeah, she rips that off the TV and she starts dueling with her. And she's also barefoot. Yeah. Stepping on all that broken glass and God knows what else. I don't know. And it's all in a very confined area. Oh, yeah. And this is Daryl Hannah and Uma Thurman. It's so great. It is great. They're just whooping each other's asses. There's a struggle for the sword. The sword goes flying. And Elle ends up knocking Beatrix down in Bud's bedroom. And she runs back for the sword. And this is where Beatrix, in the corner of Bud's room, sees his Hanzo sword. He didn't pawn it, guys! So now we have a fair fight. Yes. Everybody's armed appropriately. And that awesome music track kicks up as they're facing each other in the hallway. B. Something I've always been curious about. Just between us girls. What did you say to Pi May to make him snatch out your eye? I called him a miserable old fool. No, Pai Mei! Pai Mei was the one who took her eye from her. Though the guy that overreacts to being disrespected? Yes! <laughs> Imagine that! And I love the little snippet we get of her actually getting her eye snatched out. She's so mad. <laughs> I'd be shitty. And like, they cross swords in the hallway. And I was, re- I was trying to remember how this part ended, because I'm like, this is a hallway. There's nowhere to move. I was so surprised. And like... <laughs> I was so surprised. They cross swords, and they can't really move. So Beatrix uses her free hand to snatch out Elle's other eye. The way I threw my hands up, (laughs) and I was like, oh my god! Oh my god! The way she fucking loses her mind. Oh, it's amazing. It's, it's it's kind of disturbing. It is. And it's kind of just very uncomfy for me. And I was like, oh my God, I can't even imagine. She's rolling. The rage. She's rolling and thrashing on Bud's bathroom floor. The ra- Your sight is just gone. She's trying to fight. She's still trying to fight, even though she can't see. Beatrix is just letting her writhe around. Oh no. And I'm like, and just walking around her. And I'm like... And like Beatrix just kind of leaves her there And you looked at me and you were like She's not going to kill her? I think that Beatrix knew that either the snake Or exsanguination was going to get her first Okay, well She still didn't make sure she was dead I know And that's sus More on that later Right, she just walks away Like she does from everything Like a character in a Dan Brown novel Alright Ross, guess what? Uh, Yeah, we've got I can't believe there's more between this and the end it, it's actually called Last Chapter, Face to Face. Okay, fine. I thought that was so funny. They numbered all the chapters until the last one. And yeah. instead of calling it Chapter 10, they call it Last Chapter. Like, hold on, guys. Sit tight. It's almost over. Now we're in Mexico. And <laughs> cut to Beatrix in a classic convertible, like a light blue convertible, whooshing down this unpaved road. Positively whooshing. Oh, my God. Oh, no, we have to talk about this. Yeah, Tarantino makes a lot of not great choices. Imagine. But this is definitely one of the worst. It's not a paved road. 
It's not necessarily safe for a non-professional driver to be hitting gravel like that at 50 miles an hour. Especially in a car people don't usually operate nowadays. And Uma told Tarantino, she was like, listen, I don't feel comfortable doing this. I'd rather have the stunt driver do it. And Tarantino was like, what? No, you're fine. She crashed the car. She did. She came up on this unexpected turn in the road and she just lost control of the car and hit a tree. I've seen the video. You're wrist flapping right now. Because it's so horrible. Yeah. Like, it's not that dramatic, but she bonks her little noggin on the steering wheel really hard. Yeah, yeah. And gave her a concussion and knee damage. And here's the other thing. That's the take they used. Yeah, it is, isn't it? They used the footage of her right before she lost control of the car. What a fucking asshole. And like, (laughs) that, that made it into the final cut of the movie. And I'm like, oh my God. You're screaming. I know. She didn't die. I need to turn it down. You do. All the way down. But like, like she was laughing by the time she got out of the car. But I was just like, God damn it, Tarantino. She told you no. She did. She did say no. So we walk into this little bar, right? Yeah, we're in Acuna, Mexico, looking for one of Bill's many father figures is what the bride calls them. And in this case, it's a sexy grandpa named Esteban Viejo. Senor Esteban Viejo. Yes. May I join you? Only on the condition that you call me Esteban. May I join you, Esteban? Please. You you are attracted to this 80-year-old man. That's the thing. They said he was 80, and he's sitting there, and he's just got this this very chill vibe about him and he's got these eyes that I'm swimming in for some reason. Yeah, he holds your attention. I'm sorry. I was a little attracted to this character (laughs) and it's this 80-year-old Mexican man. Just remember, he's also a gang leader and a former pimp. You're right. You're right. But like, he's just got this hip this hypnotic way about him to where you're at total ease, and I bet that's a manipulation tactic, but... Yeah, he's almost likable. Yeah. But he's supposedly the guy that had a lot of influence on Bill, so I really don't like him. Like, I was gripped when he was on screen. I'll give this that. She's here to ask about Bill. Where the fuck is Bill? That's her one question. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me where Bill is. And like, he's doing everything but answer her question. Of course. He, they he, protect each other. He's looking at this car she drove up in and he gestures to it and he's like, This. I didn't hear you were driving a truck. My pussy wagon died on me. The pussy died. When he says that. The way I laughed, I uh, wish I could. I wish I could have recorded how I laughed. The pussy died. Ah, uh, the pussy died. And I had to stop uh, the movie. Yeah, you did. I was <laughs> cackling. You had to stop the movie. You were laughing so hard. <laughs> I had you rewind it. I wanted to see it again. <laughs> I love it when you get that tickled and you're like, back that up, uh, back that up. Uh, the pussy died. <laughs> No, the pussy wagon died, Esteban. And finally, she she has to interrupt him. She's like, where's Bill? Like, stop, stop this. <laughs> stop this now. And surprisingly, Esteban tells her exactly where he is. Bill is like a son to me. Do you know why I help you? No. Because he will want me to. Now that I don't believe. Ah. Uh. Oh, well, you're going to see you again. Oh, yeah. When he says that, he's like, how else is he ever going to see you again? I was like, 
okay, shit. Like, that's some big-time confidence that she's not going to successfully murder his ass. So she goes to Bill's address in Acuna. This is a ridiculous home. It is. Can we talk about this for two seconds? Uh, It's 2004. I can tell you that. Yeah, the interior design. Yes. Like, while the interior design is hideous at times... It's big how I would decorate. Uh Uh-huh. Like, I just want to feel like I'm in a little Mexican villa, like, on the edge of the beach at all times. Indeed. It has its own concierge desk! I mean, hey, I bet there's a lot of money in murder. Uh, yeah. A lot of money in murder. She's inching through the house with her gun drawn, waiting for him to be around any corner. And she hears some noise outside on the patio. And she inches towards the door, flips around, pointing the gun, and gets the shock of her life. Bang, bang! Oh! Oh! She got us, baby! Mom got us! Oh, I'm dying! Oh, I'm dying! (sighs) That's a child. Her four-year-old child. Her daughter, who's still alive. Yeah, remember, that was the big cliffhanger. We did not mention that at all. No, we didn't. At the top. That that when she was shot in the head, the the child actually lived... Oh my god. Like that's the great cliffhanger from the first movie and like yeah, you're right. We we forgot to mention that, but I was hoping they'd forget about it honestly. Yeah. Because you kind of do. You do, yeah. Once she gets to that point, you forget that he said at the end of the movie, the kid's alive. And Bill's had her the whole time. He named her BB after Bill and Beatrix? I think so. That's no. <laughs> no. Okay, here's the thing. The fact that this child knows exactly who she is, what she looks like, I thought that's something that Bill would just have kept from her yeah, in he- a very uh, vindictive way. Here's the thing that's hard to argue with. He taught her all about her. He taught her all about her and said, you know, your mommy is alive, your mommy's asleep. Because I did a very bad thing to mommy. Yeah. And I'm like, Bill, what's with the accountability? I know. It's so, it takes you aback. Like, you're a snake. What the hell? And he's taken very good care of her. She, she has, looks healthy. She has a nice home, nice clothes, good food. He plays with her. Yeah. Like, he seems like a good dad. I'm, this was always so out of left field for me. Yeah. I was like, I don't know how to feel. Where's the carnage? <laughs> and she asked me, Mommy's been asleep since I was born. Then how will she know what I look like? To which I replied, Because Mommy's been dreaming of you. That's what I said. Did you dream of me? I dreamed of you. Every single night, baby. Every single night. When Bibi's talking about how beautiful she is and is just as, as beautiful as she always imagined, oh and I'm God. just like... I, I mean, I could never, I could never be a mother, so I can't ever put myself in those shoes for real. But if you try to put yourself in Beatrix's shoes, like, it's just like, oh, fuck. And I'm just like, I can't even imagine what that moment's actually like. Like, you would have killed Bill. That's what you were saying during this whole scene. Oh, yeah. When, when they're having their whole thing, I was like, Bill would have been dead. I don't care if the kid's there or not. <laughs> You would have murdered his ass. I would have murdered him in front of her. And then we get this scene where Bill is making BB a sandwich with Bimbo brand white bread. That was hilarious, too. (laughs) I was like, look at the brand of that bread. Bimbo brand white bread. Bimbo. And he's doing this subversive double talk thing. The anecdote about Emilio the goldfish. Yes. He's telling Beatrix how BB killed her pet goldfish. Because she wanted to. She wanted to watch it die. And when you lifted up your foot, 
What was Amelia doing then? Nothing. It stopped flapping, didn't he? She told me later that the second she lifted up her foot and saw Emilio not flapping, she knew what she had done. Is that not the perfect visual image of life and death? Like, he wants her to know that she took that fish out of the bowl on purpose and stepped on it to watch it die. Yep, how he's telling her how B.B. knows right from wrong. Uh Uh-huh. Like, she knows what she does that's bad. Yeah, but, like, he's normalizing it for her. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. He's listening to this kid tell him about how she likes to kill goldfish. He treats it like it's normal. She's gonna grow up so warped. Yep. That's why she has to get her out of this situation. Uh Uh-huh. And here's the other thing. He lets Beatrix watch a movie with her. Like, lets her do this whole bedtime ritual with her daughter that she's never gotten to do before. Yeah, it's, uh, it's rough. Um, less emotional trauma and more carnage, please? Like, it's so weird. He knows she's there to kill him. And the fact that he's given her this time with BB, it really makes me want to like him, Ross. Well, I, I, to me, this whole time in the back of my head, I'm like, okay, he's letting her have this time before he kills her. Yeah, I know. Like, th- that's what I'm saying. I, it's crazy to like him, so I won't. Yes. After BB falls asleep... She walks back down to the living room to face off with Bill. And if you guys are interested, I found a great video that breaks down the pacing of Tarantino's writing using this scene. It's a fascinating little video. So just go check that out in the related media. Like she's going to they're going to have a fight. But like he wants some questions answered first. Oh, my God. (laughs) I forgot about this until just now. Gotcha. What the fuck did you just shoot me with? My greatest invention, or at least my favorite. Don't touch it, or I'll stick another one right in your cheek. He shoots her with a dart loaded with truth serum, so she can't lie to him. What? And he's truth serum. It's crazy. Yeah, it's silly. It's silly is what it is. He's like, do you really think that your life in El Paso was going to work? She hates that she has to tell the truth. Yeah, she's like, no, but <laughs> I would have had BB. Yeah, I would have had BB. I would have been happy. And, you know, this is kind of where we get the whole, you know, what she did that was so bad. And I thought it was going to be way worse. But, like, yeah, we don't really know a lot about her parting from Deadly Vipers until, you know, she really lays it out. And so he she asks her, why did you run away? And, you know, she did just like all of a sudden disappear on him for three months. Oh, my God. We have to talk about the little snippet where she takes the pregnancy test. Oh, my God. She's in a hotel room on her last assignment before she leaves, getting ready to go kill this female mob boss lady or something. And she's taking a pregnancy test in the bathroom. And of course, it comes up positive. And then right after that happens, she gets a knock on the door. From Karen Kim. Yeah, Karen Kim from Hotel Management. The assassin sent to her by Lisa Wong, who's she's there to kill. Hello, can I help you? Hello, I'm Karen Kim. I'm the hospitality manager of the hotel. I have a welcome gift from the management. That's nice. Um, Can you just leave it by the door? And, like, she blows a hole through the hotel door, and they end up pointing guns at each other in a standoff. (laughs) And I love how Kiddo's like, listen, (laughs) guess what? I just found out that I'm pregnant. Literally before you walked in the door. And so, like, don't kill me. 
you know? And she's like, literally right by the door is a pea stick. Go pick it up and look at it. It's just, this scene's so fraught with tension. But meanwhile, we're trying to explain to Karen how to read the results on a box for a pregnancy test. She's like, blue means pregnant. She's like, I can read the box. Thank you. Okay. Say I were to believe you. What then? Just go home. I'll do the same. (laughs) And like Karen just slowly backs out of the room with the gun on her. (laughs) And then the door shuts and you can only see her face through the blown hole in it. And she goes, congratulations. And then walks away. (laughs) Why does that make me laugh so much? (laughs) We move back into the present and Bill and Beatrix have moved out onto the back patio to talk. I was a killer who killed for you. Before that strip turned blue, I would have jumped a motorcycle onto a speeding train. For you. But once that strip turned blue, I could no longer do any of those things. Not anymore. Because I was going to be a mother. All of these scenes bring me within a millimeter of feeling sorry for Bill. Because he thought she was dead. Yeah, because she literally just disappeared for three months. And then he finally found her, finally tracked her down. She was getting married to another guy. Like, he's just... He's and been- she was pregnant with his child. And he didn't know any of that. He didn't know it was his. Had he not reacted so poorly... I would kind of be on his side. Right? A little bit. Like if he had not overreacted. Thanks a lot, Pai Mei. <laughs> <laughs> like his reaction was completely unreasonable. And if he'd not done that, I could see his side of things. So we're saying like, you know how we say Jar Jar's responsible for the Empire? <laughs> Is Pai Mei the Jar Jar of Kill Bill Volume 2? I think so. Is he responsible for the for, for Bill? I think so. Uh, for the Bill. But here's the thing. What undoes it for me, all of my sympathy for Bill, is the fact that he feels like he was completely within his right to do what he did. Yeah, I know. Like, he was the victim. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah. I'm a killer. I'm a murdering bastard, you know that? And there are consequences to breaking the heart of a murdering bastard. You experience them. Was my reaction really that surprising? I'm sorry, you are a murderer, and yeah, I do not begrudge her at all for wanting to get her unborn child out of that situation. Now, Ross doesn't like the way this peters out, because the- It, do- it, it does. Like Downton Abbey, it just peters out. <laughs> it just, it, we're out of gas. The writers are out of gas. Tarantino ran out of gas. Because the first movie set us up for total carnage, right? Just Bill laying in pieces all over his backyard. That's what you wanted to see, right? It's called Kill Bill. <laughs> Not tap Bill hard Not on the... Not poke sh- Bill. <laughs> kill him! <laughs> Don't just poke him, kill him! Okay, let me get to it, okay? Let me get to it. But this last piece of fight choreography... Is, Hardly. It's so fast! <laughs> Hardly. I shit you not, neither of them get up from their chairs! It lasts like ten seconds. She holds the blade up and says, You and I have unfinished business. Baby, you ain't kidding. He wrenches the sword out of her hand. He goes to stab her. She catches the blade in her sheath, disarms him, and then she starts poking him hard in the chest. Ah! 
that's like stupidly named too. I know. Like, <laughs> and you know what happens next, y'all? All he's got to do is take five steps away, and he's dead. And Bill almost laughs. He's like, I can't believe Pai Mei taught you that technique. Why didn't you tell me? And she's like, I don't know. I guess one thing I will say is that he does just kind of accept it with grace. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, they squeeze in as much emotion as possible out of these last few moments. How do I look? You look ready. And guys, guess what? Guess what happens next? Guess what? Bill gets up out of that chair and very slowly takes five steps away and falls on the ground. Just drops dead right there on the lawn. It's called Kill Bill. (laughs) Then kill him! Poke Bill, volume two. Stop! Coming to a theater near you. I turned to you and I didn't say it out loud, but the thought that went through my head was, I'm going to kill you. (laughs) Because I hadn't seen this. Not really. And I was so ready for her to just fuck him up Oren Ishii style. (laughs) And then it didn't happen. She poked him five times in the chest and his heart exploded. Hey, I think it's cool. I don't. I know, that's fine. I don't. It I, was so anticlimactic I could spit. I knew this was going to make you mad. You know, you know what? Get 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 it over with. <laughs> take 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 me out. What happens next? Beatrix stands up, collects BB from her bed, and just walks out of the mansion like nothing ever happened. And then we get this title card that says, "The lioness has rejoined her cub." And all is right in the jungle. What the fuck? (laughs) And the credits are rolling over this great Spanish song. And it's bringing everybody's face up with their name over it. And everybody looks really badass in their footage. Except when we get to Bill. The image they used for Bill was just him lying dead in the backyard. I wanted Bill mutilated. (laughs) I wanted him mutilated. The whole four hour affair. So now you have unsatiated bloodlust. I wanted Bill on the hibachi. <laughs> God. I wanted an I wanted an onion volcano made out of Bill. Okay. And then right before it goes to black, it just it's just this picture of Quentin Tarantino flipping you off. <laughs> I like how when it comes up Uma Thurman as Beatrix Kiddo, aka the bride, aka Black Mamba, aka Mommy. Mommy! Oh, it's so dear. Yikes. And here's the other thing. So it's a touching story of motherhood, is it? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I have not forgotten about volume one. <laughs> but, you know, I really like your idea. Well, it's not your idea, but like... No, the, most of the internet had this idea. You really want volume three to happen. But you said to me that Tarantino didn't envision himself like doing really more than 10 big films, which now he has with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Actually, Ross, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is his ninth film. Oh, so you really do want the volume three. Yeah, I think that he might do volume three and then quit. And here's the thing. It's got to be about Nikita Green's revenge against the bride for killing her mother. And uh, tell them about the little fun thing at the end. With the credits. Oh, okay. Ross pointed out something I'd never noticed before. Because here's the thing. They do the names thing twice. They do. Yeah, they do. They list the cast twice. And the second time, which I've never seen before, it's bringing up all the names of the Deadly Viper Squad. Lucy Liu, cross that out. She's dead. Vivica Fox, cross that out. She's dead. Michael Madsen, he's dead. And then it comes up on Daryl Hannah, 
And instead of striking it through, it's a question mark. Yeah, because, like, remember she just walked out of there? She didn't make sure she was dead. Tarantino left that open on purpose. So you're saying about, you want one about Nikita Green, Vivica Fox's kid. Yes. Getting revenge for Beatrix killing her mom yes. on Beatrix with Daryl Hannah training her how to do it. Yeah, like a blind... With L Driver, a blind L Driver teaching Nikita Green. Ooh, Maya Hawk. Who's Maya Hawk? Uma Thurman's daughter. Oh, yeah! She's the lesbian in Stranger Things. Yeah. <laughs> her as BB. Yes! And Zendaya as Nikita Green. I love everything about it! <laughs> Let's do this! Please. Honestly, Tarantino, get to it! But wait, if Bill's dead, can we call it Kill Bill Volume 3? I don't know. Shouldn't it be called, like, Kill B? Kill Bleep? Kill Bleep. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Kill Bleep. Kill Bleep Bleep Volume 3. (laughs) Kill Kiddo? Hey, I like that. I like that, Kill Kiddo. This was just one of the most magical first viewings for me in my young adolescence that I can- Good for you. You're right, good for me. (laughs) I had never seen so many women in what I've now come to call hot girls with weapons roles. You know, you're right, for a Tarantino subject, this is about the women. It is. This is about the, the, this is a, the the honestly the best characters are the women and they get the most screen time. Yeah, and it would never pass the Bechtel test. The movie's called Kill Bill for crying out loud, and every conversation is about killing Bill. So it would never pass the Bechtel test. But I don't know. When I was that age, it was just it was really cool to see women who I saw as empowered to take control of their own lives. And well, uh, well, okay, I get all that, but like, as a first viewing for me, <laughs> in the anticipation and excitement I felt to kill Bill, you were you were severely uh, disappointed. Yeah, <laughs> severely disappointed. And I respect that. I and I knew there was going to be one bad egg in this bunch this birthday month. Uh huh. I knew there was going to be a rotten one, and I think <laughs> this is it because I think our next selection is going to be a lot of fun. Oh. Because I think that I will enjoy it because I've seen it once, but I haven't seen it since. And it's been years and years. So no big outro this week, guys. This is just, this is always serotonin for me. Okay, well, you say no big outro, but I will say that, like, uh, I'm in love with volume one. Yeah. Like, I, I really am. It's a great movie. I just wish that the same energy had been in volume two. I understand why they're so different. And I understand that this is a lot more, um... It, it's it's more of a review of the relationship here. <laughs> yeah. And I but like it would have been way better if we had had all this review of the relationship and then a really torrid end. <laughs> I would have really liked it to have been either tragic or savage. Like everything I love about volume 1 is just like I can't I can't get it out of my head. And so it's not that big of a letdown, I guess. But, like, it's pretty big letdown. <laughs> you just wanted more. I wanted more. And, I mean, hey, that's why I want a threequel. That's why I want a volume three so bad. So that we can declare Kill Bill volume two the two towers of this. <laughs> it is empirically the worst one. <laughs> but it's also very enjoyable. The Attack of the Clones <laughs> of this. For my, 
been your birthday already? It has been my birthday already by this point. Aw, shit. <laughs> Happy birthday. Happy actual birthday. I'm sorry we missed it. We should have we should have prepared. No, it's okay. We, neither one of us can look at a calendar. It's what, August 5th? I don't remember. Well, you don't remember what today is? Today is August, August 5th. 5th. <laughs> What's today, August 5th? I don't remember. <laughs> Um, so your birthday's in, what, like nine days? Yeah. But this is coming out. Way after. Way after. Isn't podcast time travel great? It is great. It is great. Hi, guys. Nine days in the future. (laughs) (laughs) So thanks for sticking around for that. Next week, we are going to be ramping up the violence and ramping up the carnage. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Hopefully Ross's uh, bloodlust will be satiated. I have blue balls from volume two. I have cinematic blue balls <laughs> from Kill Bill Volume 2. The way he's wagging his fingers at me, like, come on, <laughs> come on, come at me. Finish the job. <laughs> Ew, that's awful. <laughs> Not you. Not on my birthday. <laughs> so next week, guys, we are going to be covering one half of the infamous Grindhouse release from 2007. My favorite half. We are going to be talking about Robert Rodriguez's Planet Terror. You're doubling up on the Rodriguez? I am. Oh. I, I am double dipping on the Rodriguez. Start with the Rodriguez, end with the Rodriguez. Was... And then Tarantino in the middle. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> it's a cinema sandwich. It sure is. Cinema sandwich this month. <laughs> hey, yeah, uh, can I get the uh, double stack Tarantino on Rodriguez? <laughs> yeah, lightly toasted Rodriguez. <laughs> yeah, Robert. <laughs> the Robert flavor of Rodriguez. Yeah. And will you put a little RZA on there for me? A little RZA. In the meantime, you can go follow us on Twitter at Kick and Stream. A-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. You can write the show at Kicking and Streaming Podcast at gmail.com. That's with an and, not an ampersand. And don't forget, folks, practice the three R's. Rate, review, retweet. Rate, review, retweet, folks. We want you all to let Carrie Ann know that we should just record this part. Having an attitude on my birthday. Oh, my God. I don't want to hear it. Shut up and take us out. How do I do both of those? (laughs) How do I do that in sequence? How do I both shut up and take us out? Don't talk when I say don't talk. Answer me. Do as I mean, not as I say. More quality content coming to you from kicking and streaming. Until then, I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And as always, sorry, sorry, mom.